Well, hello and welcome back to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are especially blessed today to have Jen Lewis bringing the message. She is going to be taking us through the beginning of chapter 5 in the book of James with the always fun topic of money and wealth. But more so, the topic is really about our heart and the potential that money can have in regards to our heart. It's a really great message that will definitely challenge you today. Here's Jen. Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Jen Lewis. I'm the Connections Director here at the Vineyard, and I'm glad to be with you today. Both Chris and Myron were not able to to speak this morning, and so they wrote me into uh, speaking. And of course, Chris gives me the topic of money. So brace yourselves, okay? This is a good message. It's a hard message, but I'm encouraged by it, and I hope that you will be too. We're actually starting the last chapter of James. We've been going through James for a while, so we are definitely able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We are, uh, I think, four weeks to the finish, including this week. So keep coming. If you're new with us, this message can definitely stand alone, but if you want to go back and hear what was said about the rest of James, uh, there's a place on our website called Watch, and you can look and see all the sermons that we've already gone through and talked about in this book of James. Now, before I start reading our section, if you if you want to, you can go ahead, if you brought your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6. But before I um, I start reading there, I want us to remember what the book of James has been about and why James wrote this book. Um, Remember, this was written during a time, this is actually the first, the earliest book written in the New Testament. And it was written during a time of great persecution and trials for this baby church that was beginning. But enough time had passed since the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church the church members had kind of lost their initial excitement and fervor that kind of comes when you first come to Christ. And it's very likely that they were starting to slip back into some of those sinful behaviors that they had before. They weren't quite as intentional in their faith as they had been initially. And I bet, honestly, many of us have had seasons in our life and in our faith where we have felt that happen to us too where the excitement of coming to Christ has kind of waned a little bit. And and now, you know, the day in and day out of life, or maybe even some of the hardships that have come, have caused us to become a little lackadaisical in our faith, a little lazy about our walk. And so I hope that James has been encouraging to you and just hopefully to spur you on to keep growing, to keep to keep on keeping on in a sense. Now, for the most part, James has been a book that has been challenging, but also very encouraging to believers because he was wanting to encourage them in this difficult trial time. Um, But he also wanted to make sure that they lived out what they said they believed. And so all through this, this, um, this book, it's been a book full of wisdom and kind of encouragement and challenge. This section we're about ready to read is the only section in all of James where he's not actually talking to the early church. He's talking to a group of people who are either coming but aren't believers but are coming to the church or people who are in the community um, around this church that are impacting this church. It was a group of wealthy people, and we're going to see here kind of that they needed to be spoken to. 
Now, even though it wasn't written to the early church, there are principles that James outlines in this section that we can totally glean some information from and hopefully learn from. But before I start reading, I want to think about what Chris talked about last year, if you can, or last week, if you can kind of in your mind go back, the basic point of what he talked about last week was the issue of pride and how how being proud can really screw us up. Now remember, James was written as a letter. It wasn't broken down into chapters and verses. All of that division inside the book came later. And so this was one fluid letter with lots of thoughts. And so it goes from warning the church about being proud straight to talking about these rich oppressors. And it it makes sense if you think about it that way, that he's probably was like, on that note, I'm going to talk to you about some of the pride among you. Um, But the last line in chapter four, so the last thought right before we go into this thought, I think is really important for us to keep in mind as we read this section. It says at the end of verse or at the end of chapter four, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, I start that way because for a lot of us, money is one of those areas where we come to church and we're like, if they start talking about money, I'm out. Maybe there's been hurt or there's been issues in the past or you've heard about things happening in churches where money has not been handled well. And I want you to just encourage you to open your mind to what God has to say about money in your life. This has nothing to do with Jen Lewis. It has nothing to do with the Vineyard Church. This was written in, you know, like... 40 AD or something crazy. I think it was more like 60 AD. But anyway, the point being, this was written way before any of us were here. But what James talks about here has some very important things that we need to consider applying to our lives. Because if we know better, we need to do better. Make sense? Yes? (laughs) You're like, okay, John, here we go. Okay, so we're going to read James 5, 1 through 6. Here we go. Get ready, because he does not mince words here. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester, harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Pretty warm and fuzzy, huh? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like there's any love loss here. He is just not even you know, beating around the bush. But if we look at this scripture and we were to just take this out of context, not consider everything else that was written in scripture, we could read that and think, oh, God does not like rich people. He's against rich people. They're all a bunch of greedy sinners and they deserve the wrath of God. And James thinks it right here. But we know we're not allowed to do that, right? We know we're not allowed to take out a little bit of scripture and, and just come up with a theology based on just a couple lines. There's a whole lot of other things we have to consider when we read in the scriptures. And so what we're going to do first, before I kind of dig into this section, is think about how God has talked about wealth up until this point. 
What, have there, what has God taught us in scriptures? What's interesting is in a variety of places in scripture, God has blessed people with wealth. People he liked. He liked Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They all end up being wealthy. He liked Joseph in the Old Testament, King David, King Solomon, all wealthy. He, he, he has this conversation with Moses. Moses was the one who led the Israelites out of slavery. Okay, so they were really poor at that point. But he talks to Moses. He's telling him how life's going to work at this point now that they're going to be a community together. They're not going to be enslaved anymore. And he gives him all these different laws on the mountaintop. You know, you've heard about the Ten Commandments. Well, not only did he give Moses the Ten Commandments, but he also gave him some other instructions about how life was going to work. And in Deuteronomy 28, God tells Moses that he plans to bless Israel with abundance as long as they obey his commands. It says in Deuteronomy 28, one through six, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will see will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go on. And then the entire rest of the chapter is description of how they will have abundance and be blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. If God promised blessing to the Israelites by means of wealth because they were going to be obedient, that type of wealth cannot be sin. So abundance can and sometimes is simply a blessing from God. When we read the, Pro the book of Proverbs, we see over and over again Proverbs that talk about how important it is to save, how it is wise to work hard and to, um, you know, budget and to consider how you spend your money, which all implies that it's okay to earn money and save money. God doesn't have anything against that. In fact, he encourages that. So if we're taught to earn and save money, once we have it, it can't be sin to have it. But then Jesus comes and tells a couple parables, not just a few. He has quite a bit to say about money. And he brings a different perspective that helps to clarify a couple things in the minds of the Israelites. Because what has happened through the years before Jesus came is that they started to believe that if you were wealthy, automatically they just assumed you had the blessing of God. It didn't matter if you got the blessing, you know, from God from, you know, cheating somebody out or something like that. If it was kind of assumed that if you had wealth, you were blessed. God had his favor on you. Okay. But Jesus kind of clears up this notion about being wealthy and how that kind of applies to God's approval. In Luke 12, he told a parable about a wealthy farmer and it says this, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. And then another time in Matthew 19, Jesus is having this interaction with this young man who happens to be really wealthy. And the young man's asking Jesus, you know, what, what can I do to have eternal life? And he and Jesus have a little bit of a conversation. And, and what we can glean from this interaction is that Jesus realizes that wealth has a hold on this man. And so Jesus challenges him and says, sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Well, when his disciples question this and ask him about it later, he says to them, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who can be saved then? You know, here they're thinking in their mind, wait, 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 we thought the rich were the ones who were getting in. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then we read this section in James. And there's, you know, so we're, we got kind of two sides here. Which is it? Is it okay to be rich or not? Is it okay to hold on to wealth and to save or is it not? Well, let's look a little bit. James has three main concerns in this section of, of, of chapter 5, 1 through 6. We're going to look at those three concerns, and then we're going to look at what else the Bible says about, about money. So first of all, it says, um, James was concerned, first, how they obtained their wealth. How did they get rich? It is clear by reading this passage that James is talking to people who got their wealth by exploiting and cheating others out of what they deserved. It says in verse 4, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. In this time in history... Most people were poor. I mean, really, everyone was poor to a certain extent. Nobody had running water. You know, nobody had a flushing toilet. Like, life was really different than how we have it now. But it was extreme poverty for 80% of the population. There was no middle class. For 80% of the population, they went day by day earning enough to just get them through the next 24 hours. There was no government safety net. There was no welfare program, no soup kitchen, nothing like that. And so what they would do is they would work for that day, expect to get paid at the end of that day, and just have enough to get them through until they worked the next day and earned enough for the next day. People could and did starve to death. If they couldn't keep up, there were times where family members were sold into slavery. If people couldn't pay their debts, they would be put into debtor's prison, which, of course, would be very difficult to then pay the debt. But basically what that was, was it was like a blackmail system for the family. If you want this guy out, you figure out how to pay the debt. And so James, when he says, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you, he's not necessarily exaggerating. If you kept money from a day worker, it could cost them their lives or the lives of their children. There were no banks. There was no way to get a loan, no way to put money in a savings account and kind of store your money easily for a rainy day. 
if you had wealth, you had to store it. And so you'd have to have a building to store it. You would store it in, you know, grain or corn or your clothing or in precious metals like gold or silver. It was very hard to get ahead in this economy. But God knew this. And he had spoken to this very issue. Remember when he was on top of the mountain with Moses and he was giving them instructions on how life was going to work? He also spoke to this issue. You know, it's really cool when you look through the Bible, you see God's heart for the poor and the lowly over and over again. You know, he, it's amazing his compassion and his love for us. For those of us, you know, who, who have struggled and in those moments of struggle, God is not far from you. In fact, he's very mindful of you in the midst of those struggles. But anyway, according to the Levitical law, a faithful Jew was to make sure that they paid a worker daily for what they were hired to do. So it didn't matter if the job was not completed yet, they paid them for what they did that day. It didn't matter if they didn't feel like paying them, if they were hoping to just, you know, give them all a lump sum at the end. No, the law said you give them money every single day for what they do. He also had set up uh, laws and rules for how they harvested fe their fields. So what would happen is that the harvesters were told to go through and harvest once. And anything that was left, the, the poor and the needy could go on through and they could glean that wheat after the fact. Now, he didn't say to those who were harvesting, go and harvest very thoroughly and then give your extra to the poor. What he said was, is leave some behind and those who want to work can get what they need. The idea was reap well, but then leave some for those who need it. On top of all that, God had a system of releasing people from debt every seven years and every 50 years. And so what we're realizing when we read this section of James is he's talking to people who are not following God's laws. They could give a rip about what God said. He obviously didn't care what God had, you know, his heart for the poor or how their, how their actions were hurting others. They had not paid their workers. They had not paid a fair wage and they were not doing what God had told them to do. Now, this obviously looks different in our day and age. You know, our, our economic system is not like their economic system. But you gotta ask yourself, how are you gaining your wealth? Are you cheating to get it? Are you taking advantage or exploiting your coworkers' skills or other people's skills in order to get ahead? Are you compromising your morals kind of on a, on a get-rich-quick scheme? Are you so intent on climbing the ladder that it doesn't matter who you step on on the way up? Are you cutting corners to save money? But when you cut those corners, you know you're harming the people you're working for or you're not providing the quality that you promised. Proverbs 19.22 says it's better to be poor than a liar. See, James is saying in this section of scripture that God sees what we do how we treat others and, and how we, um, you know, uh, deal with money in our lives, the exchange of money and payment in our lives. And he takes note of those who are in need. And he has a special spot in his heart for those. He defends them. He will bring justice for them. David Nystrom says it this way, money has the potential to cause us to ignore God and to become callous to the needs of our brothers and sisters. And it will result in judgment if we have used wealth selfishly. 
The love of money has this power because we are so easily blinded to the strength of its allure and we ignore it to our peril. Now, the second area of concern that James has or that he's pointing out is how they viewed their wealth. How did they look at their wealth? You see, there's a difference between hoarding and saving. Hoarding is all about you. It is wise for you. It is responsible for you to spend and save wisely. But people who are hoarding money are doing it simply for selfish gain, simply for kind of this, I've got to have more. I've got to have more. Their hands are closed to others around them. They're keeping all of it for their own benefit, for their own safety, for their own comfort. They spend it on the pleasures for themselves or so they can tell themselves that there's no need to worry and they can just rely on what they've got. But in doing this, what happens is they end up trusting their wealth instead of trusting God. And all of a sudden, the material things in their lives get elevated above where it should be. And it takes the place of God in their lives. They don't consult God for their future. They don't look to him on how to use the money because he might tell them to give it away. They, they don't even consider that. It's all about them, what they want, how they want to spend it. Read James 5, 5 again. It says, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Their wealth had replaced God in their lives. They didn't look to him for, for satisfaction. They satisfied themselves in their stuff. And money and material things became their God. And then they were just completely oblivious to the eternal consequences that were coming. They numbed themselves with things so that they would no longer sense their need for God. You know, all of us were, were built with this innate need for God, this ache inside of all of us. It's been described as a God-shaped hole in our soul where we just really sense that we need something. And a lot of times we try to fill that with things instead of God. And I think what Jesus is talking about when he says it's so hard for a rich man to come to the kingdom of God is because they can numb themselves to that need and then they don't pursue God. They're just content with their stuff. A rich person can easily numb that natural desire and fill themselves up at least for a little while with material things or expensive experiences, big, big vacations or concerts or sporting events, things like that. And then it blocks people's ability to sense their need for God. That need that we have is a way that God uses to draw us to him. And so if we don't have that need, if we don't feel that need, we're not searching for him. We don't go looking for him. Now, most of us in this room would, would probably say, oh, I'm not rich. I'm not, you know, I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not, you know, Kanye West. I don't know who are rich. Taylor Swift. I don't know. All these people who are rich. You think I'm not this, these rich people. But I would say that most of us in this room are rich enough to numb ourselves. We are rich enough, have access to enough that we numb that need of God in our lives with stuff, with comfort, with entertainment, with distraction. And what ends up happening is we go to that instead of going to God. 
So James is warning that the view of their wealth, their view of money was so elevated that it became a higher than God. And because of that, God was pushed out of the way. This is why on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was warning about money, this was another time Jesus talked about money. In Matthew 6, he said this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting how much he sounds like James here, doesn't it? Of course, James got his view of money from somebody. How about your view of wealth? Wealth and success are a wonderful byproducts to working hard and saving and being wise, but they are self-destructive life goals. If it is your end-all be-all to make and to save and to succeed, you're going to get tripped up. And I think it's innate in us, guys. I think it starts at an early age. We just, you know, if any of you parents here, you know this. You walk into Walmart and your kids are like, yeah, yeah, I want that. I want that. I want that. Oh, how about that? Can we buy that? Even if it's just double stuffed Oreos, whatever, you know, they just want something. When I was a kid, apparently my mother loves to tell this story. I don't remember it happening, but apparently it happened. When I was growing up, and some of you will remember this because you're as old as me, you're older. We used to have full service gas stations. Do you remember this? Okay, yeah, and it was so nice. I mean, I wasn't getting gas at this point, but my mother was and my grandmother. My grandmother, that's the only way she went was to get the full service gas. But what would happen for those youngins in the room is that you would go up, you pull up to the gas pump and a guy would come out and he would pump your gas for you and maybe he would, you know, clean your windshield wiper or whatever. And then you'd pay him, you just sit in your warm car in your cushioned seat, you'd pay him, he'd, he'd give you the change and you'd be done. Well, at this time, lots of people did not use credit cards, and so there was a lot of cash going back and forth, and so he usually had, like, it was kind of like a fanny pack, but not really a fanny pack, but it was like a money pouch on his belt, and sometimes he'd even have, like, these, like, I don't know, it was like a line of quarters where they could just get out the quarters, you know, it was really cool. Anyway, we were at the gas station one day, and I'm just sitting there, you know, watching this whole thing take place, and I look at my mom, and I'm like, Mom, someday I'm going to marry a gas attendant. And she said, you are, why? And I said, because they always have a lot of money. (laughs) Honey, aren't you glad I changed my perspective on that? But anyway, this was also at the time when people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grow up. I would say, I either want to be the president or a cheerleader. So this was like my mental uh, mind at that point. But anyway, it's in us. It's in us. Who cares about love? I want money, you know? Like we just want more. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says this, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. We can easily be consumed by stuff. And that stuff becomes our God. But we have to remember That cannot be the end-all be-all. It is good to save. It is good to work hard. It is good to be wise with what we do with our money. But that cannot be our end-all be-all. God is our all in all. Number three, the, the third issue that these rich oppressors had was what they did with their wealth. What they did with their wealth. 
Their wealth was all for them. They were not thinking about its impact other than its impact on them. James 5, 2 through 3, your wealth has rotted and your moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Eat your flesh like fire? I mean, does anybody, like he is like coming down hard on them. In God's economy, wealth is meant to be used for good. We are not supposed to be a stopgap. We are supposed to be a channel to put it out to the next person in line. What you see in James' description here is that this wealth was just being stored away, just being kind of kept just for them, just for the sake of them having it. Obviously, the clothes weren't even being used. You know, clothes that are needed don't sit long enough to rot and to be eaten by moths. These people had wealth just to have it. So, how we doing with that? You know, how we doing with that? Is it all about us? Because what we also have to remember is there's an eternity waiting. And, 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 and what we have here, you know, you've heard people say this before, there's no U-Haul going behind a, a hearse. You can't take it with you. You know, he describes it like a pig eating its slop, ignorant about what tomorrow will, will bring. You know, you think about the pig and they're just like, I'm going to eat this, eat this, not realizing that that slop is there to fatten them up for two days later when they see the butcher. We, our wealth could be gone in an instant because of circumstances. I mean, we're seeing this even in our economy. My tortilla chips are twice as much as they were a year ago. I don't know. Have you experienced this? I love my tortilla chips. They're expensive. All of our material wealth can come. It can go quickly. Or we can be gone tomorrow. What are we valuing? Because if we value temporary things, it's meaningless. Now remember, it's not a sin to have money. It is a sin to hoard it, to put our trust in it, to make it the goal of our life to have as much of it as we can because we know in the end it's not going to do anything for us in eternity. And that's what lasts. That's what matters. You know, so many of us, we're just looking for contentment. We just want to be content. This next thing will make me content. These double stuffed Oreo cookies will make me content. Whatever it is will make me content. No, God makes you content. Money is supposed to be temporarily in our hands, and we are to be stewards for God. It is meant for our provision. So yes, we need new clothes, we need a new car, we need whatever. Yes, absolutely. But it's also meant for sharing. There was no sharing going on in this situation that James is talking about. Okay, so in light of those three things, those three concerns that James has, then what do we do? Because if we are being wise with our money, if we are saving and we are, you know, kind of doing what the Proverbs tell us to do, okay, if we've got wealth, now what? Because I don't want to be one of those guys. Well, Paul, you guys know Paul. Paul wrote a letter to um, a, a guy he was mentoring named Timothy. And he specifically talked to Timothy about how to pastor the rich in his church. And this is what he told Timothy 
to tell the rich people, okay? He said this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love that. So let's break this down. First, we've got to watch our pride. This goes back again. This is a big theme for James, and we see it over and over again in Scripture. But what can happen is that we can look around, and if we're doing slightly better than the people around us, if we're somewhat comfortable, we can get a little bit cocky about that. We can think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. It says in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. We've got to remember, if we have plenty, it is always because God is the source. Now you could say to yourself, no, but I worked hard for that. I studied hard in school. I, 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 I don't get everything that I want. And I work really, really hard for all that money. Okay, but God gave you the skills, the mind, the energy, and the ability to do all that. All of it comes from him. In Deuteronomy 8, 17, it says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. We have got to stay humble. We have to remember that it is God who provides, even just our breath in the morning. And when we remember that it's God's first, that he was the one who provided it for us, then we remember, oh, we've got to steward it for him. We, we've, we've got to be mindful of how he wants us to take care of it and look to him for how to use it. It keeps our pride in check. The second thing that he refers to and says is that we need to trust in God. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. You know, if you go back and you think about the farmer in that parable that Jesus told in Luke 12, the problem wasn't that he got blessed with, with all that extra grain. The problem was is that he turned his trust from the provider of that grain to the grain itself. God called him a fool. Now, like I said earlier, the temptation with wealth is to elevate it and to elevate that craving for it above God. But God never intended for the things he made to be a substitute for him. In Hosea 13, 6, he describes what can happen. God says, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. We forget him. When we feel like we don't need him, he becomes a second thought. You know, we start to trust in the stock market or we, or we trust in our 401ks or our, our bank accounts. But the truth is there's no peace in all of that. We can look around right now and we can see how the economy is adjusting right before our eyes. And it's not, I mean, it's shifting sand, people. The truth is there's no peace in that. Pretty soon, when we trust in our wealth, getting it and keeping it becomes our main focus. 
And that's why Jesus, when he finished his section on money in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Misplaced trust results in slavery. That pursuit of money becomes your master and no longer do you have freedom in Christ. Psalm 62.10b says, Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. So with those two warnings, we get a third piece of advice from Paul. And this one is, is a little more upbeat. Number three, enjoy what God has given you. You're allowed to enjoy it. If he has blessed you, if you have worked hard, you're allowed to enjoy it. If you know people who are blessed and who work hard, they're allowed to enjoy it too. We can't necessarily look at this person over here and be like that greedy sinner over there, deserve the wrath of God, they're rich. You know, that's kind of a trendy thing to do these days. It says, remember, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Okay, we covered that. Which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you know God invented pleasure? He wanted you to enjoy your life. Remember the Garden of Eden? All it was was abundance and blessing. That was how we were supposed to live. God wants you to enjoy what you have. Just don't put your trust there. Just don't make it your idol. And we can do this if we remind ourselves where it all comes from. If we continue to be grateful, if we continue to kind of look back and be thankful for what he has done for us, how he has provided for us in whatever way that he has, If we turn back and we remember over and over and over again, ultimately where these blessings come from, then we can enjoy them. We can take pleasure in them. He invented that pleasure. Lastly, this, Timothy says, do good and be generous. If we enjoy what we have with self-discipline, oftentimes we will have leftovers to share. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. We can't be generous if we devour everything we have. If we use it all for ourselves, we don't have anything to spare. Now, this can be hard sometimes. You know, sometimes we look around and we think everybody's making more than us. Like, how, do, how can they afford that Jeep? Those Jeeps, those new Jeeps are nice. (laughs) How can they afford a new kitchen? How do they have the next iPhone? Well, I don't know. But I can tell you, statistics say that a lot of those people around us are living in debt up to their eyeballs. They may look like they have a lot because they owe a lot. Now, let let me make some suggestions here to you. If you do not want money to be your master... Don't go into debt. As much as you're able, stay out of debt. Because it's just still the, 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 you know, like the hamster on the wheel. You are still 
always pursuing the money because now you've got somebody looking down on you needing the money. It's that pursuit of pleasure. It's that slavery to materialism. It is that desire and looking for contentment to satisfy that ache where we cannot stop ourselves from wanting the instant gratification. But here's the key. If we are able to rein it in a little bit, if we are able to be self-disciplined with our money, then we will be able to share, which ultimately is the goal God has for us. If he has entrusted you with money, if he has entrusted you with material wealth, or maybe he's just entrusted you with a healthy body and you don't have much money at all, but you've got skills and you have time to share. If God has entrusted you with those things, he wants you to share it to help others. It is a blessing to the community if you work. Now, this is not in my notes, but I do have a thought about this. That garbage man who comes every week and takes my garbage away, he blesses me. He blesses all of us with his hard work. What would we do without him? Hard work, even, even if you're just going paycheck to paycheck, your hard work every day in and out is a blessing to the wider community. Work is a good thing. But we've got to remember that pursuit of wealth is not for our own pleasure. It is supposed to be invested into the things that will last forever. And what lasts forever? God and people. So we invest in what God is doing. We invest in other people. We, we, we store up treasures in heaven by investing in the things that will last into heaven. When we trust in God and not in our material things, we're willing to let go of those material things. You know, one way you can figure out of whether you're hoarding or saving is to see how open your hands are. If you are willing to share, if you are willing to give, that's a good sign that you're in a healthy place. So let me ask you a couple things. Do you budget so that at the beginning of the month you can give to God instead of just kind of scrounging up some change at the end of the month? Do you consciously plan and steward what God has provided to you so that you can give even more? God wants our blessings to be reciprocated to others. You know, I kind of pictured it in my mind like water going through my hand. Or, or then I kind of thought, well, maybe it's more like slime going through my hand. We save a little bit. It kind of sticks to our hand, but the rest of it is supposed to go on to the next person. Just keep it going. Keep it going. And then if they keep it going and they keep it going, we can share and things are better. Ronald Snyder, the author of Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, said this, I used to think when I was a child that Christ might have been exaggerating when he warned about the dangers of wealth. Today I know better. I know how hard it is to be rich and still keep the milk of human kindness. Money has a dangerous way of putting scales on one's eyes, a dangerous way of freezing people's hands, eyes, lips, and hearts. As children of God, our hands are open. Our hands need to be open. We can give it away and make room for more. We cannot outgive God. I have seen it over and over and over again in my life. His blessings are meant to flow through us. We are not supposed to be a stopgap. So as we let go, we make more room for God. 
So when we look at all of this, just think about this. You know, what I said at the very beginning was that scripture that talked about if you know better, we have to do better. If we know that we are supposed to give, if we know that we are supposed to be wise stewards and we ignore, James says at the end of chapter four that it's sin. It's not sin to have the money or to save the money. It is sin to not consider what God wants you to do with that money. And so as we end today, I want to encourage us all, me included, we've got to stay humble. We have to trust God first. We get to enjoy with thanksgiving what he has blessed us with. And we have to look for ways to give it all away. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this hard section of scripture. And I thank you that you are patient with us. I thank you that you love us, that you understand our fears, our concerns, our situations. Lord, I know there are people in this room right now who feel like they have no, no, not even two coins to rub together. And Father, I pray for them, Lord, in particular, that you would help them to see other ways where they can be generous. Maybe it's their compassion for someone, a listening ear, um, time, a skill. And then for those of us in this room who do have extra, Lord, would you teach us, would you show us how to be the best stewards we can be on earth so we can lay up treasure in heaven for you. Father, we love you. You have been nothing but abundantly good to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you do not hold back on us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, which abounds more and more every single day. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Renew our minds in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.